If you have your bulletin, turn to the passage where we're going to look at, the, at, at Romans. I've printed it in your bulletin, and I'm using, not every week, but some weeks, I'm using the New Living Translation. It's not the best uh, literal, it's not even a literal translation. It's a very loose paraphrase. But what I think we can find, because many of you have your ESV there, or you've got an NIV or some other translation, I think you'll find this very interesting. I'm being careful when I pick the passages, but there's a clarity that comes through that sometimes I think gets blocked because we've read these passages or heard them in church so much. And being in the book of Romans, there's that danger because that's uh, a book that we're mostly familiar with. So let's read this, chapter 2. It's printed in your bulletin, just the first, uh, I don't know, 20 verses, I think. You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad and you have no excuse. When you say they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the very same things. And we know that God in His justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see that His kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will judge everyone according to what they have done. He will give eternal life to those who keep on doing good. Seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers But he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, who refuse to obey the truth and live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. But there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in His sight. Even the Gentiles who instinctively obey it even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts, for their conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are doing what is right. And this is the message that I proclaim, that the day is coming when God, through Christ Jesus, will judge everyone's secret life. This is the Word of God. Um, I don't want to offend anybody, but I'll say that uh, one of my favorite comedies, I'm, I'm older, so I used to enjoy watching Seinfeld. And I don't know if any of you were Seinfeld fans, but 
Uh, there is a prize if you know the answer to this question. Who is Izzy Mendelbaum? Anybody know? Izzy Mendelbaum? No? Well, Jerry Seinfeld, who was very persnickety, had put on a few pounds. He was looking a little pudgy. So his parents hired this trainer, uh, a, a gym trainer, who is about 100 years old. And uh, he's trying to get Jerry into shape. He was played by Lloyd Bridges. Some of you may remember Lloyd Bridges. And he had the sweatband on his head. And he's trying to get Jerry to lift weights. And, you know, anyway, Jerry's able to lift the weights. And the guy says, you think you're better than me? And then he lifts the weight and hurts his back. So he's in the hospital bed. And his, his father shows up, who's 200 years old. And what happened to you, son? Oh, he thinks he's better than me. He tried lifting that television, and, and uh, I hurt my back. And so the father goes, he's 200 years old, he goes and picks up the television, and he hurts his back. And then the grandfather comes in, he's 300 years old, and he asks him, what are you doing in bed? And he says, he thinks he's better than us. And they all start chanting, Mendelbaum, Mendelbaum. See, nobody knows what I'm talking about. It's terribly embarrassing. Anyway, the grandfather tries to lift the TV. Here it's his back. You think you're better than me. This is really what the Apostle Paul, he had watched the Seinfeld episode, and he got this <laughs> right from there. You think you're better than me. Look, that phrase, you think you're better than me, is what Cain said to Abel before he killed him. That is what has happened to our world. You know, we've been looking at the book of Romans, and people, the book of Romans answers some of the biggest questions that people have. Human beings, throughout history, people wonder, why is there a God? And if there is, he, she, it, them, whatever they are, why in the world is the world the way it is? Why did he create a world like this? People are mean, they're hostile to one another, they commit crimes against each other, and yet at the same time, people are capable of great goodness and kindness. So there's this, this weird kind of tension that we live in every single day as humans. And everybody I know, it's, they, don't even have to, they don't even have to believe in God. Why did the universe turn out this way? Why is it this way? And what I told you the first week, going back to the beginning of Romans, the world is this way, not because God created it this way, and you are not the way you are because He created you this way. The world is the way it is today, and we are the way that we are, human beings, because we created the world like it is. We're the ones that invented uh, nuclear bombs, and we're the one that invented whips and scourges and crosses. God didn't invent those things. Those were not in his mind. You say, well, gosh, you mean you don't believe in God's all-knowing? Yes, I do. I believe he's omniscient, omnipresent. I believe all of those things that are dear to us in our theology. But you have to understand that God created a world, a globe, that was a perfect planting ground for good. And then in the middle of that globe, in a little spot, in the ancient Near East, he planted a garden. And in that garden, he put a man and a woman. And he said, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth with my glory, with my image. And he gave them 
that image-bearing ability, that capability of being image-bearers and going out from the garden and bringing order and beauty and love and graciousness to a planet, to a whole world. And you all know the story. Adam and Eve suppressed the truth. This is from Romans chapter 1. They suppressed the truth and they exchanged it for a lie, and they worshipped and served the creation rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. The Apostle Paul gave that benediction at the end of his sentence. They're the ones that worshipped and served. They're the ones that chose to go to the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which he didn't want them to have. He wanted them to have good. In fact, every refrain in the song of creation in chapter 1 is it was good, it was good, it was good, it was very good. He said, just don't eat the tree of good and evil. Don't want you to have any the, the evil, no. Good, yes. And we run to it. We take, she saw, she looked, she took, she ate. So perilous the words, so hard their undoing. And that's where we are. And so people in our day, especially in the West, in our, because we're modern and we're smarter than God and all of this, we have the audacity to turn to Almighty God and say, why did you create this world? How come you did it? And we accuse and accuse and accuse. And we create idols because we're not satisfied. with. We distort His image. And then we turn right around and begin attacking each other's image. And Paul is trying to say that humanity has not evolved. Listen, folks, humanity has not evolved. If anything, humanity devolved. And it got so bad and so horrific in history that every thought and the intention of their heart was to do evil continually. This is in Genesis preceding the flood. And so God destroyed the world. And what Paul has done in a a really genius, he's telling the story of humanity. And that's what chapter 1 is. Chapter 1 is the erasure of God, the God who is the true God, the erasure and distortion of Him by humankind. Not talking about you individually, but humanity, humankind. And now, in verse 2, he's going to stop because he lists all these things. We're going to read them in a moment. That, that mankind, with quotes, all kind, humanity, is guilty of. But in the back of Paul's mind, he knows human nature. And he knows that every one of us are going to look at this list and look at these things. And we're going to say, yeah, I'm not that bad. I'm better than you. You think you're better than me? You're not better than me. I'm better than you. And we start to compare ourselves, and that is so embedded in our human nature that it, it just it, it's almost irresistible. And the apostle is deconstructing humanity, and then he's going to turn to the Jews who represent the religious people, the you could say the Christians of today, the Jews back then, those that are depending on their religion to justify them, and he's going to deconstruct them in chapter 2. Then in chapter 3, we're going to look at that in a couple of weeks, he's going to take apart 
every human being that ever lived, doesn't matter your religious background, whether you have one or not, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And then in chapter 4, he's going to show how. How do we climb and scrape and get ourselves out of this horrible pit? What are you going to do? How good do you have to be? And I hope you come back for that. We'll tell you exactly how good you have to be and all the merits you need to store up in your treasury of merit. That's almost as funny as something Jerry Seinfeld would say. He makes a terrifying indictment against all humanity in chapter 1. Then he narrows it down to the descendants. Now remember Paul in the context, he's talking to the descendants of Israel and in that day the, the tribe of Judah in particular, the Jews, who had the Abrahamic covenant and the Mosaic law. So he had deconstructs humanity. He said, look, they, they're horrible, but don't think you're any better. You break the same laws. You break the same precepts. You're no different than them. And folks, if you're a human being, there's something in you that starts to rise up and go, oh man, I don't know if I can buy that. I know I'm really not as bad as them. And Paul knows that we're going to say that. He knows exactly what we're going to do. And these first, I don't know, probably up to chapter 7 and the beginning of chapter 8, he just takes, takes every human being's heart, opens it gently actually, although it can sound harsh at times, open our heart and reaches in with the truth about our helplessness and our need for grace and mercy. This terrifying indictment now he makes against his, his Paul is making against the people, the Jews. We could say Christians today, the churchgoer, the average person who goes to church, he's, you know, he's trying to be a good person and, and depending on their moralistic and meritorious behavior, you know, I'm a good person, I'm going to do good, and that way God will owe me. I can, I, can, I can really make him happy if I do these things and I can really, uh, I can build up in my treasury of merit a certain amount of capital, and that way when judgment day comes, we can load all that into the scale and see if we can balance the scale. Now, if that's your Christianity, then you've got to hate it. That is a horrible religion. I wouldn't want to be a part of that religion. And neither would Paul. And that's not the religion that Jesus came to build for us. So let's look at three things this morning real quickly. The just judge, the Christian Pharisee. The Jews had Pharisees. We have them as well in our circles. And finally, we're going to look at the kind, the tolerant, and the patient loving judge, which may seem like a contradiction, but let's see. Look at verse 1. You think you can condemn, you're just as bad, and you have no excuse. You say they are wicked. Now he's talking about as we, as we as Christian people, and we're, you know, we're good people, relatively good, and we're looking out at the world and we're saying, well, I'm not as bad as, and then you fill in the blank. I'm not as bad as this one. I'm not as bad as that one. You say they're wicked and should be punished. 
But in so doing, by that very act of looking outside of yourself and pointing fingers and judging someone else, you're condemning yourself. Paul is saying you, cannot get a, you can't get away from it, and I'm going to explain to you why. Paul is getting ready, he's setting us up to explain to him why we can't judge somebody else. You who judge do the same things. Now, right away, our minds go and say, well, I don't really do all those bad things. That person is really bad. We, again, weighing, measuring each other against someone else. Like uh, the Mendelbaums did with Jerry. You think you're better than us? And then they start uh, you know, upping, upping the, the uh, tally to see who's really better. Human nature. God in his justice will punish anyone who does such things. You judge others for doing these things. Why do you think God's judgment, uh, why do you think you will avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? Look, when you're reading scripture and you see a phrase repeated over and over again, you should pay attention because the apostles, they didn't have exclamation points and, and uh, you know, emojis that had all these uh, faces to get people's attention they would repeat stuff. And what he does is he said, you do the same things. He'll punish anyone who does the such things. You judge others for doing these things. Why do you think God's judgment when you do the same things? Four times he says, same things, same things. What are these things? We see there's no chapter division between one and two, so all you have to do is go back. We don't want to do that too much, but what are these things? And in chapter one, there was a cascade, a constellation, an avalanche, if you will, of things that he enumerates in Romans chapter 1, 24 to 31. In that little section, over 20 adjectives and descriptions of what people do to each other. And God in chapter 1 makes a threefold judgment. He abandons or he gives them what they want. He doesn't have to do anything but take away his restraining hand of grace and let us have what we want. St. Augustine said the punishment or penalty for sin is sin. God doesn't have to do anything. He abandons them to do shameful, vile, degrading acts with each other's bodies. He abandoned them to shameful desire, women having sex with each other, men burning in lust with each other. An, at an attack on the only thing that God ever said about, man and about mankind was male and female uh, are expressing my image. That's how I made the world. Not black, not white, not smart, not dumb, not tall, not thin, not black hair, uh, not uh, blonde hair, not uh, Republican, not Democrat, not independent, not libertarian. None of that. Just male and female. And that image is the image that I'm going to uh, fill the earth with. And what's the first thing we attack? The gender. It's not talking about any of the cultural wars that we're dealing with right now. This is, a, this is something that is much higher and much bigger than that. But in our culture wars, we love to find a target. And the target is, you know, same-sex attraction or what have you. And let's put the bullseye on their back. And let's shoot them. As long as I'm not that, I'm okay. And that's because you just stopped reading. Listen, he abandoned them. 
Now he abandoned the third stroke of judgment. Listen, their thinking becomes foolish. They live lives full of every kind of wickedness. Sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, gossip, backstabbers, haters of God, insolent, proud, boastful. They invent, just in case he doesn't list something, he says they invent ways of sinning. They disobey their parents. They refuse to understand. They break promises. They are heartless and they have no mercy. Now you may be able to exempt yourself from something like same-sex attraction, but you cannot exempt yourself from this. And I argued a few weeks ago that even our heterosexuality is in trouble and has been for millennia. And the Bible does not approve of heterosexual um, evils any more than it does same-sex sin or attraction. So don't take the Scripture out of context. Read it as he's saying. Humanity has done this. We have torn into each other at the most basic levels and then we go further and if you can't find your particular sin in this list, then you'll invent one. And we do. And he's talking now, he's addressing religious people. Addressing people like us who go to church, we hear the message of God's grace and love for us And we want to believe it. Look, I've based my whole life on this, that Jesus Christ is my righteousness, and I'm trusting in Him. I have, and I know that you have. But folks, if you honest my hand to God, I promise you that if you push me, your illustrious pastor, if you push me and you scratch just a little bit, I will bleed merit. I will bleed good works. It will just come out of me even though I don't want it to happen. It's like the blood in our coursing through our veins. And the Apostle Paul is not, he loves these people and he says, no, no, no. I'm going to show them how deeply embedded this is. And then in chapter 8 he's going to say, There is now therefore no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus. He's going to show you that a transformation has occurred and that is what you're to rely on, not this old dead corpse that's attached to you that is still dragging you down. And we'll talk about all of these things in the weeks to come. All these 20 plus sins, I think there were 22 of them when I counted, but we, we have to own that, folks. You cannot be a Christian if you don't look at this and own some of that and say, you know what, I know that at some level I've committed all these things. Maybe not in particular, but in some sense, I too, like that ancient world before the flood, I too stand in condemnation because I have tried to buy God's Favor by doing good works. Works of the law. The law He gave us. So it's not only pagans that Paul is indicting. He's indicting religious people 
who are depending on their righteousness, their own self-righteousness. You know, if we, t- if we are describing somebody and say, you know, that person is self-righteous, everybody knows what that is. It's something icky. Boy, they're so self-righteous. And the minute it comes out of our mouth, I'm surprised we don't fall on the ground and ask God for mercy. Just that statement is a statement of self-righteousness. And that's what he's saying. You don't have, who are you to condemn? You do the same things. So here's what we like to say. Here's, and I'm going to give you a few. There's more of them, but if you hear yourself saying this, catch yourself and stop. Here they are. At least I'm better than, and then fill in the blank. At least I'm better than, and then you fill in the blank. Uh, At least I'm not as bad as, and then you fill in the blank. Or here's our favorite one. When those two don't work, we like this is the best one. We love this one. Nobody's perfect. And the question to all of these is, I mean, if we're honest, like, and I know there's a lot of people that are just dishonest, especially about our sins. We don't like to be too honest. How would you know that you're not as bad as whoever? How would you even know? What is your gauge? What do you think? Just by something they did? How do you know they didn't steal that loaf of bread because their baby's dying of hunger? How do you know? And who are you to judge? You do the same things. You see, Paul has really got us. He's got us by the throat. Can't get away from this. Well, at least I'm better than that. You don't know that. Well, I'm not as bad as that one. You don't know that either. And nobody's perfect. Yes, there's somebody perfect. And in verse 16, he says, that's where the judgment is going to be. That's where it's going to be resting on that perfect man. That righteous man, that good man, that one that was really good, who never did any of these things. In fact, he was tempted with every single one of them, and he said, no. And he took the serpent and threw it on the ground, like the greatest scene in The Passion of Christ, Mel Gibson's movie. The rest of it is a little gruesome, but the best scene is the beginning scene when the serpent, he's in the garden, he's doing all that with the serpent, and he takes the serpent, throws it down, and then uh, James Caviezel uh, stomps on his head and and crushes the serpent's head. That's the best scene in the movie. It's worth just looking at that part and then shut the rest off if you don't like all the gore. Jesus said no to every one of these. And Paul knows it's in the back of his mind, but he's got to deconstruct us before we will listen because self-righteousness is so pernicious. I'm better than you. You think you're better than me? Izzy Mendelbaum, baby. Don't ever forget. How would you know? What are, the base, what are the bases that we use for measuring? The only basis that you can measure yourself is by looking outside of yourself. Listen to this. This is the genius of the Apostle Paul. The only way that you can make any of those statements is by looking outside of yourself and judging someone else. You have to make a judgment when you say I'm not as bad as or I'm better than or nobody's perfect. You're making a judgment. And Paul is saying that judgment is what is condemning you. That's what's putting the stake in your heart of you. The vampire that is sucking you dry 
And he's telling religious people, don't let this happen to you. Human judgment is based in in one thing, folks. It's self-serving, self-protecting, self-deluding, self-righteous. It's our standard. It's not God's. We push Him out of the way and we say, I will decide how good I am and what I deserve. I'll decide that. And I'll base it on my judgment of other people and other things and how good my works are compared to Mother Teresa. Good luck with that. You see, we can trot out. When you're trotting out your good works to God and you're saying, look at how good I'm raising my kids and I'm doing this and I'm working hard and I give to the church, I give gobs of money to the church. I don't give 10%, I give 20, 25, 30, 50. Not happening. And even if it was, like Tim Keller says, God didn't tithe the blood of His Son. He gave it all. That's what we're up against. And Paul does not want us to live in this delusion that we don't rely on our self-righteousness and self-justification because he's going to show us a better way. Now, in these next few verses, I've got to do it quick because we're running out of time. But in the next few verses, he's going to talk about what does a Pharisee look like and I've alluded to this over the years. Dawson, same thing. He's said it many times. A Pharisee in the Old Testament and in Jesus' time, these religious people, they defined themselves. They were defined by what they did. In other words, all their doings, their actions, are what defined them. So if they... Uh, you know, prayed three times a day and if they gave their tithe of mint and cumin, you know, they took the tiniest herbs and made sure they gave God His 10% and they do all these things, then what they did defined them. They were righteous. They could stand before God. They believed it was all by grace. Don't make any mistake. God's being so gracious to me. I- I'm going to give him these 10 little seeds of, uh, of mint or, uh, you know, cumin. I'm going to take 10 of them and give them to him because he's so, but it's all by grace. They would tip their hat to grace. But then along comes Jesus and he says like, he asks questions, you know, don't you hate that? He would say, things, should we give our taxes to Caesar? And Jesus would say, let me see a penny. They give him a penny and he'd say, whose picture is this? Now, when Jesus said any interrogative question that Jesus asked, you were already in trouble. He had never asked a question to get information. Whose image is this? Oh, that's Caesar's. Well, why don't you give him back what's his already? But you better give God what's his. Now, what pocket would we start digging in? What pocket in your life, what bank account, what credit card do you and I think that we have that has God's picture on it? Could you show me? Could somebody give me a nickel with Jesus' name and inscription on it? You can't find it. Just like you can't find His body in the grave. It's not there. And yet even us Christians, we 
often define ourselves by what we do, but the very definition of a Christian is who we are defines what we do. Something has to take place in you and I first before any of our good works mean anything. Something has to happen first, and this is what he's talking about. So we are judged. The Apostle Paul, is what he's wanting to do is he's saying, look, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this because it's going to hurt you, but this is for your own good. I'm going to show you the judgment of what you do. And that's what he does here in verse 5 through 9. Look at it. Because you are stubborn, refuse to turn from your sins. Now he's talking about religious people. I know a lot of us are good repenters. I love to repent. But he's talking about people that are, are religious. They're stubborn. I don't, need to, I don't need to ask for forgiveness. I didn't do anything wrong. They're the ones that did wrong. They're the ones that hurt me. Stubborn. Refuse to turn. We store up incrementally, saying we're storing up little by little wrath for ourselves. Not talking about believing Christians who are trusting Jesus. We're talking about religious people who are self-deluded, okay? Please understand what he's talking about. Warning, there's a day of anger coming. God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He's going to judge everyone according to what they've done, including us. We're not going to escape. Whatever that court in heaven looks like, we're going to be trotted in there, and we're going to have to stand before God, and we're going to have to give Him a reason why we should be allowed into heaven. And I hope, I pray that those in this room, those of you here today, that you will say, when he says, why should I let you into my heaven? The old evangelism explosion question. That you'll answer the same way the thief on the cross answered. Because the man on the cross next to me said I could come. Why should we let you in? What do you have? in your wallet. The man on the cross next to me said I could come. Alistair Begg preached that sermon. It was it was mind numbing. The man next to me on the cross said I could come. Plus nothing. Folks, if we, we would be completely different people if we took that into our heart. Yes, I'm telling you, we would. Eternal life goes to those who keep on doing good, of course. But there's nobody righteous, not one. And look at verse 8. He's going to pour out his anger. The people that Jesus scolded in the four Gospels were all religious people. Pharisees, they were all church-going people. People that loved their Bible, that took their Bible seriously, that had... Calvin's commentaries in their library. You guys are hopeless. <laughs> now, come on, think about it. These were religious people, and he went right at them. And that's who Paul's doing. They're outwardly good, but they're, their efforts are tainted. There's something wrong. John Gerstner used to say, Beware of your damnable good deeds. Beware of them because they'll trap you. You'll do those good deeds and then you'll think, oh man, I've done something really, really good. 
And then he says, you're not only judged by what you do, but you're also judged by what you know. And this is a confusing part of the, and I can't say too much about it, but he says, glory, honor, and peace from God who do good, Jew first and Gentile. Then in later, in the, in the, in down 14 and 15, he talks about natural law. He says, even when the Gentiles, they don't even, they don't even have the law of Moses. They don't even have a, a covenant with Abraham. They have nothing. But when they do what is right, this is called natural law or the law of nature, that there's innate, built into every human, an understanding of basic rights and wrongs. That's why all religions on the whole planet, basically we know we're not supposed to kill our children and eat them. Right? We know that whatever God we worship, uh, whatever kind of religion we have, we should be uh, sincere and devoted to that. We shouldn't be hypocrites. That we, that we shouldn't be taking other people's wives and taking their things and taking their husbands and taking their stuff and wanting their stuff. And every culture has that. And he's saying that God is going to judge. He's going to judge perfectly and justly. There are not, folks, there are not going to be people in hell next to some serial killer that all they did was cheat on their taxes. They're not both going to be screaming out of the same pit of lava. God is going to be perfect in his judgment. And he is going to give everyone what they deserve. I don't know what that's going to look like, and neither do you, and neither does anybody else. In fact, all the commentators stay way away from it. But he is going to make a righteous judgment. And he's not going to suspend judgment for us. But what he is going to do is when you step into that scale, God is going to turn to your lawyer, your advocate, and say, what do you have to say, uh, Jesus, lawyer Jesus? And he's going to say, I'm going to get in there with him. Without that, you're on your own. And I don't know about you folks, <laughs> I don't want to get in that scale. Not alone. God help me, I don't want to be in there. I know my heart, and it's better than any of you. Now, let me finish with this. Listen, uh, t- t- Tim Keller recalls Francis Schaeffer. You can, Francis Schaeffer talked about this. Tim Keller uh, alluded to it. A lot of people have heard Schaeffer say this, that if, if we had an invisible tape recorder around our neck and it recorded all of our judgments and our opinions, our opining and our uh, uh, declarations about us and other people and what we should think and what they have and, you know, what they are and how we are and this and that. If, if that invisible tape recorder was played on the day of judgment when you're standing in the dock and God is judging you, he's going to bring out the tape recorder. This is according to Francis Schaeffer. And he's just going to, he's going to play the tape recorder and you will be judged according to what's on that tape. He doesn't even need to bother with the Ten Commandments. Forget about it. Why, why bring the Ten Commandments in? Man, that would be a little cruel. I'll just judge you by your own words. Do you know what would happen to us? The floor would open up and we would drop through. For goodness sakes, don't you know what you've said your whole life? My God, 
I know what I've said. I know what I've said about you. This is hard, folks. But right in the middle of, what about this kind and tolerant judge? Well, look what he says. Paul never goes to me. If you read Romans, he doesn't go too many verses of, of thrashing us before he comes back to telling us about God's love. And he just, he just does a few verses, then he comes back. Look at verse 16. Don't you, or, or not 16, verse 4. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing to you? Can't you see his loving kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In the New Living, it says turn you from your sin, but in the Greek, it says to lead you to repentance. I think the, the original is better than this one. But the idea is that repentance has two sides. It's not just feeling bad about your sin or turning away from your sin. There has to be another side to it. And that's turning to Jesus to God and this is what as your pastor what I I feel like I've got to tell you is we're we're great folks we are so good at repenting of turning away from our sin we repent and we repent and we repent and one of the questions I get asked most as a pastor is how many times will God forgive me I repent and I repent. I keep committing the same sin. I keep committing the same sin. I don't know how many times he will forgive you. I don't know that we can attach a number to the times that he will forgive us. But if all you're doing is repenting, he will never forgive you. Never If all you do is repent, never forgiveness. You don't get forgiven because you repent. Why do you get forgiven? You know. Why do you get why are we forgiven when we repent? Because we turn to Him. We turn away from our sins and we turn to Jesus. The definition of a Christian over a Pharisees were great repenters. They knew how to repent better than we do. But when the Son of God came down and said, You must hear me. I'm the one that you are waiting for. They said, No. My repentance is good enough on its own. I don't need to turn to Jesus. I certainly don't need Him. My good works, my judgment, um, I'm good enough. That will suffice. They were great at repenting, but they refused to turn to Him. And folks, that's the difference. That's what you have to come to church, if for nothing else, for this, to know that your repentance is nothing. If you don't turn to Him, you can feel as bad as you want about your sin. Big deal. Everybody feels bad. But it's who they turn to in that moment. Who do you run to when you have just blown it? Where do you go? And for us, the place we go is not a place, it's a person, it's not a thing that we do, it's a person who did all things for us. Who for us and for our salvation gave up his life. That's our creed, folks. That's our creed. Will you trust him?
I pray you will trust him and say no to the, the damnable good deeds that we, we trust on. Let's pray. Father, oh, our hearts are idle factories. We know that we make them every day. We try to rest in this self-righteousness, but it, it can't hold up against your judgment. You've already seen the perfect, the good, the lovely in your Son. And he's asking us to trust him. I pray that everyone here today would please put their trust in you, Lord Jesus. Amen.